Welcome to the round 17 Supercoach Coach Podcast. I'm Marcus, and I'm joined again this week by FB Donkey. Welcome back. G'day, mate. Can't believe we've made it this far. Round 17. Yeah, it's gone by pretty quick. Seven rounds to go after this, and heading into finals for those people playing for cash leagues. It's getting to be an exciting time of the year where you can use all the trades that you've left saved up. We're kind of in a situation where there's not necessarily a heap to talk about because we're running out of trades or we're saving them for league finals. Um, Basically, there's only two situations you should be trading at this stage of the year, and that's one, because you've got an injury that is long-term, or two, I guess, if you have lots and lots of trades, you might be upgrading sort of one of your lower-end premiums. And other than that, you're just at the sort of part of the year where you'd be sitting tight on your trades and hoping your team can start performing and get all your premiums on field at once. So let's start with around the grounds and how we scored for the week. I'll kick us off with my 25.85 from the weekend. It was going to be a fair bit higher, but I ended up trading in Aaron Hall and that kind Yay. of the party a little bit. Uh, otherwise, we've got even further ahead of you. Uh, still managed a round 16 rank of about five uh, or so thousand, which is decent. Uh, moved up into the top 3,000 and importantly, moved past yourself. Woohoo! You did, mate. But uh, honestly, I was pretty happy with the result in the end because uh, on Saturday afternoon, I'd had a very bad start and you were predicted to beat me by about 200 points. But then Hall and Wits and a few other things went my way and uh, the difference was only about 50, so I'm not sure how far ahead of me you are, but it would be less than 50 points, which is good. I dropped 10 spots in the ranking this week with 25.33, still ranked just outside the top 3,000, which after the start of the season, I'm pretty stoked with that. I ended up skipping Hall and bringing in Doherty uh, last week. I had the money and was fairly low on trade, so didn't want to take the Hall injury risk, and that was a pretty extreme result straight away. Um, I wish I obviously had gone Sinclair and then I'd still be ahead of you by a decent amount, but Doherty had his worst performance of the year. He was on track for a decent score, but just uh, St. Kilda winning the game and Doherty's sort of last two or three kicks went straight to the opposition. So uh, sort of missed out on what should have been about 100 there. And yeah, 75 is not a great start, but at least it's not Aaron Hall. Very frustrating to get through only two minutes. In two minutes of play, he scored 18 points. So, um, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was painful to see. Uh, defenders have been scoring well against Geelong. But anyway, we'll get into it in the Aaron Hall section. Do want to give a shout out to Clayton Oliver, who after two double tons in the last three games, looked like a pretty safe captaincy bet. And the fact that he's pumped out a 176. So that's three of his last four scores delivering 175 plus, which is absolutely insane against uh, the Crows. Clayton Oliver, you superstar. And unbelievably, you had Petrarca as well, which I didn't. And so for me to stay with, even within Kui of you, after you had that massive score from Petrarca, I was pretty stoked with that. I know he's been down for a fair while and uh, I raised even the possibility of trading him last week. And you were like, no, 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 that's no, that's not a good idea. And uh, you were spot on with that one, mate. Cool. Thanks. I was going to bring that one up. So I'm glad you did. Yeah. Well, I, I won't go out too much. They've got Geelong. It'll be interesting to see 
Uh, his projected scores back under a hundred for this next week. So <laughs> I want to count my eggs too soon, but his average has gone back up to one eleven. So uh, yeah, not too bad. Quick look to our Supercoach Coach groups and our top scorers in our main Supercoach Coach group. Tim's team take no prisoners. Twenty seven ninety was his score for the round. Oh my gosh, Jesus! Uh, round rank of thirty five and into 614th with that score. So congratulations. And a shout out to uh, the current leader of our Super Coach Coach group being Tyler. Uh, his team, Shep Screamers, is coming 25th. There's quite a few in the top 100, top 200. So uh, it looks like our community is having a good run home in the second half of the year, which is really exciting to see. Uh, noticing a lot more sitting high up in the rankings. Uh, then at the start of the season, and uh, that's certainly been the way our season has been progressing as uh, podcast hosts. So it's good to see that playing out. In our Patreon group, top score there was Michael's team, Cash Cows, one of our long-term vets. 27.41 was his top score, so well done to Michael. And continue to track Jimmy's team, Hungry Heracross. He's now into the top 10, sitting ninth overall after 25.75. So... Good luck to Jimmy in keeping that form up. All right. Questions for the week. Basically, don't have a heap as we touched on at the start of the show. The biggest topic this week is Aaron Hall. We did just talk about some of the top trade-in options for Tom Stewart last week. So we've been through some of the more expensive options. So we maybe won't spend a heap of time touching on the expensive options. Probably do want to call out that if you had... Tom Stewart and you ended up going to Hall and you didn't use that cash, even though Hall scored 18, Doherty actually dropped more in price than Aaron Hall did off his score. Um, so if you could afford Doherty last week and you chose Hall like myself, you can still afford Doherty this week and actually have oh, a little sweet. bit more. Yeah. Yep. That'll be sweet if that's your option, mate, because then you get the 18 and you lose an entire trade. That's a little bit hilarious. We should probably take a little bit of the blame because we did advocate fairly strongly on Hall last week. I know we did discuss the options and said you should go for the expensive options, but if you want to take a bit more of a gamble and risk, and we did outline the risks at the time, but we definitely were recommending Hall and that just uh, did not work out one little bit. We did get a question like uh, one of our patrons, Brian, who can I blame? And I'm more than happy to take that blame and but yeah wrong. i was so angry and salty i had massimo actually as an emergency and after he scored 83 i texted our group and gone like oh maybe i'll just keep him on sort of park for another week and then make the decision next week in terms of who i go to um but ultimately decided on hall and look hall scored 18 points in two minutes i think you're in a situation where uh he presented a lot of upside and a lot of value at 496. And on top of that, he presented the potential for being an absolute top scoring option. Uh, I had more trades than I hoped to be able to use or had hoped to be able to use on the run home, uh, accounting for having to trade haul out. So I'll go down to three trades after this week. Three trades for six weeks is something that I was comfortable doing. So as much as it is painful, uh, the game is about calculated risks. Uh, it's easy to forget that just last year, a lot of people took calculated risks on Hall and that really paid off. It does really suck to get punished 
almost immediately <laughs> yeah. after only two minutes. But those things happen and you control what you can control. I, I don't think it makes the decision poor. You, you go into it eyes wide open. It sucks that uh, when you look on Twitter, there's heaps of people gloating saying, I knew this was going to happen. Only a bunch of idiots yeah. would have traded him in. But like you can't uh, devolve to that sort of thinking, right? You take the punt, eyes wide open. And if that had paid off, you, you wouldn't have heard any of that. I'm, I'm not now sort of qualifying that, you know, it was definitely uh, the best call. But at the same time, you don't want to make a judgment call either positively or negatively just because a reasonably predictable injury played out on the, a play that presented sort of high risk and high upside. Yeah, no, that's fair, mate. And part of the difficult part of uh, running a podcast is that we're going to make some calls and some of them are not going to pay off and uh, you're playing a game with incomplete information. And if you look back to the Cornelio call six weeks ago or so where everyone was trading him out and you were very, very strong on keeping him, like you get some wrong, you get some right. And um, hopefully at the end of the year, you get more right than wrong. I'm just... Um... A bit salty that you somehow ended up on Doherty. And when he scored 75, I was like, <laughs> should have gone for the high risk. And then two minutes in, I was like, no, I can't believe what has just happened. So congrats on the safer out playing out so well. And yes, I think I've lost 57 points in one trade uh, on that greedy decision. I'll be jumping on your Doherty bandwagon this week. The one question I did want to revisit was around yeah. Sicily and Sinclair. Sicily last week, we were maybe a little bit worried about with CJ coming back and then he pushed out a 139 yeah. against the Giants in very wet conditions that did not suit a marking intercept player. And then yeah. Jack Sinclair didn't get tagged and scored 150 against Carlton, reminding us of just his upside. And those two maybe got marked down a little yeah. bit on their three-round average leading into that decision. Uh, how would you re-rank yeah. those potentially against Jordan Dawson? So I don't think that my order changed. I think my order last week would have been Dawson, Sicily, Doherty, Sinclair. And I think I'd be sitting pretty similar to that still now. We did talk about a lot of the doubts around Sicily and he proved us wrong. We've both got Sicily, so we're quite happy for that to happen. And hopefully he can continue banging out the big ones. Sinclair was probably the surprise. He posted his, what, his, that was, I think that was his highest score of the year. He was just so dominant as well. Um, and I know that the Blues went uh, and tagged Hill for a while, but then let Sinclair free. Realistically, the Saints have had two big losses or two unexpected losses with Sinclair tagged. And then uh, the Blues let him run free and the Saints have a really unexpected win. You would have to think that there's a decent chance that Sinclair does competition going forward, considering those facts and that it's had a big impact on the results. Uh, so I think that that still probably stands. He probably pushed himself up. I don't know. Is he ahead of Doherty? Uh, you don't have Sinclair either and you're choosing Doherty, right? Mm. So does that mean that Doherty is a better selection? Uh, I probably still have Doherty just ahead. But I mean, we were discussing these guys. I remember a lot of people were asking about Sinclair versus Doherty six or seven weeks ago. And so they're, they're still really, really close and uh, just probably closer priced now. Yeah. The risk of Sinclair continuing to get tagged is still reasonably high. The question is just like, how much can you crystal ball whether he'll actually get tagged or not? In a world where the tag risk isn't there, Sinclair's the better pick than Doherty, I think. But what proportion of games will he get tagged? What will he manage in those tagged games? Versus Doherty, yeah, that part a little bit less certain about. 
if money was no object uh, this week, I would probably take Sinclair ahead of Doherty. Just because Doherty also managed the 75 on the weekend, which wasn't great. That may have been a bit different if Doherty still managed a 100-plus score. Was there any reason to to your mind that uh, Doherty had... I think that was actually his poorest game of the season. So yeah, including a game where he was off with the, under the suspected concussion rule for a little while. So I really do think that uh, with the game on the line in the last quarter, it was close. Doherty's two or three direct turnovers at that point cost him... 30 points. So instead of gaining seven or eight for those kicks, he's losing eight or 10 for the kicks. So there's a huge turnaround there. And I think that that's, that was purely the difference between a 75 and a hundred plus for him. Sorry. And just before we go on, you still got Dawson number one. Yeah. 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 He scored 144 in the win. This guy's averaging like 123 or 124 from the last eight games. So he's averaging like a premium midfielder in the back line. He's got Hawthorne this week. Collingwood next week, Sydney, then Carlton, but then West Coast, North and Port to finish. Oh my gosh. If you don't have him yet, you probably can't afford him. So I'm sorry I'm doing this, but just, it's so nice to be an owner. I mean, he's just, what a machine. His last three scores, 140, 134, 144, just bananas. All right, let's go to this question from Matthew. I brought it for a bloke mate from Balsa Wood in Hall. He... Is asking whether or not to do Hall to Dawson going down to three trades or staying on four trades yeah. and picking somebody under 533k. That's a tricky one because I don't think that there's a lot of players available under that 533 that you'd barely be looking at. What, Brayshaw, Crisp, Blitzavs, Baker, and then you start getting into some pretty speculative picks below that. So out of all them, Crisp, who has had a five-round average of 95, he's been a bit below, but just because of his durability, and there's a good chance that he's just had a quiet patch and will go back up to uh, 105. Interesting that he's had the low patch during uh, Collingwood winning six games in a row. That's a bit of a weird start. But Crisp would be my selection if he was going under those prices, mainly just because you're getting low on trades and just his durability. I think if you had a little bit of extra cash, Bailey Dale at 545, would be a player that if you're in that mid zone that I'd be looking at going from five to three, I really think it depends on leagues or not. Dawson's super, super expensive. He's fully priced. If you're going for overall, I think he seems like an absolute must have pick. So if you're going for overall, I'd be pretty tempted to do the two trades and get Dawson, especially if you've got five, because I think that that is more than most people. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree with that. I think we've been working off the calculation of one trade for every two rounds remaining. If you are overall player and so three trades left for six rounds after this week's trade period seems perfectly fine. So yeah, I would also be looking at Dawson and going to three, but if you're looking to save cash, yeah, Jack Crisp is a good shout. Crisp as well plays North Melbourne this week, which is nice. Then Adelaide, Essendon, Port Adelaide. So the next four rounds are pretty decent from an opposition point of view does finish with Melbourne, Sydney, Carlton, but he, he is about to hit some nice runs. So it's good to know that. Uh, interesting on Dale, uh, he did score 134 with Caleb Daniel out. I don't think yeah. Daniel's going to be out for too long though. And basically his top score prior to that was 121 and then 116. So he's pretty consistent, but he's normally in that 90 to 115 type band. If you actually look a bit closer, we had about a 105 to 110 average for about seven or eight games before last week, even with Daniel out. So even though he's not going like super, super high, he still has been averaging really, really well. 
Um, and then you get the bonus of a few games with Caleb Daniel out as well. I think Dale's a pretty good kick and GZ looked amazing on the weekend. My main question would just be around opposition. In a vacuum, they both are about a 105 average type player, but Dale's got Sydney, St. Kilda, Melbourne, Geelong, Frio, GWS, and Hawthorne, which I think is a little bit tougher than Collingwood's draw that I, I read out before. Uh, I don't think it matters quite as much for defenders, uh, although Crisp does play as a midfielder, so I think that probably is a bit of an advantage for him having the easier draw. I think that I would be taking Bailey Dale. I do want to throw a Smokey into the mix, uh, and that's Mark Blitzarves. If you take out the first three rounds where he had a 53 and 49, he's basically also averaging about 105 plus. A little bit more of a risky pick because... We're not too sure where his role will go for the rest of the season. He does mix between the back line and the ruck, but playing in the ruck, yeah. he's been pretty good for 105 average and he's a little bit cheaper than Jack Crisp. Do you think Segler plays? I think that that's probably a big part of it. So with Stanley, um, Blitzabs can play a lot more midfield and you, you don't sort of see him going into the back line again but with if Segler comes in does Segler play sort of more of that midfield ruck time I know that Segler's playing his second game in the VFL this week yeah it's a good question I still think because he hasn't played a lot of footy that he probably plays like some time in the ruck but then goes forward so they end up still keeping our backline mix which sees De Koning hold down that key spot with how he's playing versus yeah. needing Blitzovs. Because it was really De Koning's evolution that allowed Blitzovs to move out on a continual basis. He's definitely higher yeah. risk than a Crisp or a Dale, but I did want to throw it out there as sort of a left field selection that is still managing a, a pretty good average. His average just looks a lot worse because of his first three games where he was still playing in the back line. Yep, absolutely. Just to confuse things a little bit for you, Marcus. Injury list has just come out while we've been on. Aaron Hall is listed as a quad with one to two weeks out. Why you do this? Really? Yeah. I'd be tempted to see what Massimo does then. Wow. The problem is that you'd be bringing him back in and his price could drop quickly if he injures himself again. And he may take a while to heal. They may give him longer. But one to two weeks is not normally trade territory. Yeah. I think that if you have five trades, he's a definite trade, four trades on the fence, three trades you keep. Yeah, that seems fair. Also, it depends a little bit on your cover, I guess. Yeah. If you so have, I've got Jacob yeah. Ware, whereas you've got Massimo. Yeah. Massimo's only had really the one good game. He's had 250s Correct. prior to that point. Yeah. Yeah, and we do play Brisbane in Brisbane this week, so the Bombers might not be so dominant. Yeah, I think the ideal situation is if you can put the emergency on a player that plays prior, the challenge is that they play Saturday afternoon, so you would need a rookie from the Geelong, Melbourne, Sydney or Western Bulldogs game, which not many people have. Yeah, it's a tough one. The other question is... If you can hit another premium or a cheaper fallen premium or mid-price or whatever. So Luke McDonald scored 24 in round 13. He's crashed to 417,000. If yeah. you can bring in Luke McDonald to cover Aaron Hall 
for two weeks and then keep a floating player? What do you think about that? McDonald's been a bit up and down this year. I think it's been a, a role thing. He's had some good games, but that probably hasn't had as many like really big games. I think uh, ahead of McDonald, I'd probably have Stephen May. I think that Stephen May and McDonald, there's a good chance they score fairly similarly on the way home, but I think I'd probably like May a little bit better with Melbourne going for the top position on the ladder and uh, May mm. taking the kick-ins reliably. It's a good shout. And I think May's um, like 374 or something. Yeah, 379 of a 15 uh, in round 11. It's an interesting one. Like if you have a hob still or if you have anybody that you can trade. So I could trade Tristan Jerry directly to Stephen May with the cash I have in bank to cover Aaron. That seems potentially more inviting than actually trading Hall himself, doesn't it? I just it would weaken your cover on other lines though. Interesting equation. Thanks for introducing that late complication. Uh, but yeah, one to two weeks means he's potentially holdable. So let's say you did want to trade, uh, and let's say you didn't have cash in bank. Who would you pick under 495,000? Luke Ryan's at 479, yeah. Whitfield's at 478. Got Blakey 473, Cumming 472, Ridley 470, Lloyd 470. There's quite a few options around the 470 mark who could do all right for a patch. Yeah, there really is. Some like genuine former premiums in like Lloyd, Ryan, and uh, Ridley. The problem with um, Ryan and Ridley is that they have been really inconsistent this year. So they've had uh, more defensive roles at times, and then they've had those really big games as well. Lloyd has had one good game. I think he had 89 against the Bombers, but like realistically, it's one good game in the last few months. So Lloyd, the ultimate number one defender previously, available cheap. Whitfield has only had one score under 100 in the last four weeks. So despite the injury risk, I'd be probably leaning towards Whitfield, Lloyd, and then Stephen May as my options if I didn't have the money. What about you? Tough one. Whitfield, despite his talks about needing to go in surgery at the end of the year is basically just still averaging premium numbers. But they've played North Bulldogs, Collingwood, and Hawthorne. So the run's also been particularly good. They do have Port and Essendon to come, but then it's Brisbane, Carlton, Sydney, Bulldogs, and Frio. So you've got four teams pretty entrenched in the eight fighting for a potential top four and a team fighting for the eight. So it's a little bit more of a worry, assuming that he's going to keep this up, considering that they've had a reasonable draw so far. And Collingwood are a top eight team at the moment, but they also allow decent amount of points to midfielders. So there's a bit of an out there in terms of his potential scoring. Yeah, pretty tempted to actually go with Stephen May out of those options, funny enough, even though he's so much cheaper than everyone. It does give you some flexibility with the cash. Lloyd is averaging 93 for the season. The knock on May is that his likelihood to average 100 isn't as high as his likelihood to average 95. But he can certainly average 100 in a patch and... If the alternate is Lloyd, he hasn't really been able to do that much either. Yeah, it's a weird one. How about Ridley? 
Uh, it's been really tricky with the Bombers' defense. So we've been playing one tall short two weeks previous to the Sydney game. Uh, so we had some more defensive responsibility. There's a few other players taking the kickouts, averaging 90 for the year. I reckon 90 to 95 is about what he should be averaging given his current role in the team. Just uh, in previous seasons when he's averaged a bit more than that, like over 100 towards 110, he's had those really big games. And in order to be getting those big games, he really needs to be a loose man in defense. Zerk Thatcher played really well on the weekend. I expect him to keep getting games. Reed should come in before the end of the year as well. So I think that there is an opportunity for him to be free. I don't have confidence in him as someone that you could bring in and hope for a 100 plus average from here. Luke Ryan showed too much downside this year to take the risk on. Like you're really hoping for him to score a trademark 130, 140. But if he doesn't hit that, then he's probably closer to a 90 average. Isaac Cummings, probably one that's worth thinking about a little bit harder. He probably hasn't scored quite as well, maybe with Himmelberg moving down back. Yeah, 100%. So I think you can draw a direct line between those, him scoring less and Himmelberg scoring more. He was basically averaging 105 prior to that point, and it's dragged down by 45, but his last two games have still been 97 and 100. So of his last five games, four have been 97 plus. Yeah. You could say the same for Whitfield, I guess. You'd take Whitfield over coming? Uh, Yeah, I think that the upside is probably higher with Himmelberg playing back, and I think Himmelberg will likely stay back. I think the upside on Whitfield is a little bit higher. All of these picks are super speculative, and it's hard to find the the one that's going to have the big upside. There's this chance that one of these guys is going to come in and average 110 for the rest of the year, but it's pretty difficult at this stage to work out who that player might be. Cool. So I think we've given you enough to think on, like basically at this point with seven rounds to go, the ability to predict an average for seven rounds is much lower than predicting over 10 or 11 rounds. So it's good that we present the various pros and cons, but like, if you want to swing for the fences with a player that you like, honestly, like anybody who's certain of one player over another, where it's pretty line ball is probably more confident of their crystal balling abilities than they need to be at this stage. So I think we've presented enough options and enough sort of risk reward for you to have a bit of a decision on who you might go with. Uh, certainly there's clear differences between the hierarchies or the, the ranks of the top tier options and uh, middle, yeah. and the highly risky ones, but within there, there's opportunity to pick the flavor that you like. Do you have a question around Daniel Rich? Uh, are you going to yeah. or hold for Rich owners? Talk is that it should only be one week. I think he's listed as one to two, which means that's a hold in my book. I'm, I mean, I've got to play where instead of him. Really disappointing because Rich out means that uh, I won't have had a fully premium side like without a injured premium since round three. So I just cannot get my full team on the field, but that's fine. Rich is just listed as a week. You just can't trade a player on a one week injury. So I guess that that gets into the Hall situation as well. I guess Hall is a little bit more risky keeping than Daniel Rich. The weird thing about Rich though is I think it was each of the three previous games he'd gone to the bench at one point with a sore hamstring or to check his hammy. So it does seem like it might be a bit of an ongoing problem, but his scoring has been so great lately that, yeah, no, he's a keeper. All right. Uh, just to finish 
anybody who's looking for a downgrade target this week, the two highest on the trade-in option list are James Tunstall, who plays for Brisbane and is on the bubble, and Jace Burgoyne, who's a deaf mid DPP at 117,000, who just debuted for Port Adelaide. Yeah, I don't have strong preferences either way. I think you just go for warm bodies. If you can find a player that's going to be able to get some points on your bench, then you you just have to pick that player. There's not going to be any rookies with reliable job security at this stage of the year. And that wraps up our show for the week. So ended up managing to get to a pretty full show with the late curveball of Hall being out for one to two. I am probably 50-50 in terms of whether or not I trade him at this point. Uh, we'll That's probably... pretty funny, Marcus. You were uh, so certain last week of what to do and what was the right thing. And this week you say you're 50-50. You've gone through all the options. You're really not sure where you like. And you've just not been quite as uh, assured <laughs> this week, which is totally understandable. And I think that hopefully the listeners got a bit out of that because I think that you really got to back your own judgment in this week. Good luck to you, mate. Thanks, mate. And hopefully we both continue charges up the rankings, as does our community, and we keep this strong second half of the season alive. Regardless, it feels like we've got pretty strong team, so I'm pretty happy with that. And like you said, that's in spite of uh, some of us still holding English or now holding Rich or whatever it is. Shout out to Dacos owners, by the way, who somehow have managed to keep a guy who's now priced at 487000 and is averaging a ridiculous amount over the last few weeks. <laughs> yeah, massive win for them. All right, see ya. See ya, mate. Don't want